Greeks. This is a uh, unique day, unique Sunday. And um, there's been a couple things that have been on my heart for us to just pray about concerning concerning Haiti. So I just kind of want to pray what's been on my heart about that before we before we go to Luke 15 this morning. Lord, this morning we we pray in this season of of, uh, of desperate need in Haiti today, Lord. We're reminded that you you always raise up people in times of desperate need. You raise up Daniels and, and Josephs and Jeremiah's and Paul's and Peter's. And Lord, we pray that you would raise up Daniels that would work within the government. Joseph's that would work within the government. We pray you would raise up Jeremiah's prophetic voices within that country, Lord, that would speak for you. We pray that you would raise up apostolic ministries, that you would raise up Paul's and you would raise up Peter's. You would raise up John's pastoral ministries. You would raise up evangelists and teachers. We pray that that you would cause the body of Christ in Haiti to raise up as a mighty army in this season, Lord. We pray that you would use them powerfully, Lord, in this, in this time, O oh God, to be light in the midst of darkness. Amen. To be hope in the midst of desperate conditions. I pray, O oh God, that, that in this season where Everything has been shaking. Lord, I just pray that, that, that they would see the Christians in Haiti as solid rocks in the midst of this storm. In Jesus' name. We, we pray, O oh God, that you would, you would cause this time to be a time where the light of the gospel would shine brightly in this darkness, Lord. And we pray even, even for... Pastors who are there, we pray for Litovic as he goes back, for others that you are using in ministry there. God, we pray that you would sovereignly open doors that no one can shut in the name of Jesus. And in this time of great loss, may there come great salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, turn to Luke 15. Um, there, there's a whole pile of books out in the out in the foyer like this. Um, this is this is a 
this is actually an old book. It, it's a it's a book um, basically that Hanu Hauka, the founder of our ministry, put together um, in about 1996, and we discovered a whole bunch of them. <laughs> that we have left here in Minnesota. And and so they're just there for you to take free, okay? And feel free to take more than one. It's it's a very interesting story. It, it, it doesn't tell what's happened since 96, but it does tell the history of the ministry and, and Hanu Hauka and how he got involved in ministry. And it, it'll build your faith, I'm sure. It's a, fun, it's a fun read. So feel free to take one or more or how many of you want. They're, that's what they're there for. So... No big deal. All right. Um, Luke 15 is is a part of the the launch of this restoration theme focus for this year, and uh, I am kind of the first one out of the out of the gate here on Luke 15, and 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 we'll begin this series this morning. Um, and, and so, um, uh, let's just get started. Um, Luke 15 actually records three of, of, of the parables that Jesus uh, shares. Uh, one is the lost sheep, verses 4 to 7. One is the lost silver coin, verses 8 to 10. One is the prodigal son, verses 11 to 32, which is one of the most familiar and loved Stories in all of the Bible. Um, everybody loves the story. We, we we've got to remember, of course, that 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 parables do not deal with the whole gospel message. They don't deal with with the all of the theology of Scripture. It's telling a story, okay? So so we don't. It's it's not a full orbed picture. It's it's a slice. It's 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 like a pizza, and this is one piece. Of the pizza, so 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 don't don't try to get the whole gospel out out of a parable because it's probably not all there, but 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 there are particular things that Jesus is talking about in the gospel, um, it in the parables and, and um, the plain meaning uh, it, from from all these three stories is that is is that there is great joy when lost is found, okay. And 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 it really, the focus is really on God's disposition or God's heart towards lostness, and and that He has great joy when sinners are reunited to Him. Okay, so that's that's kind of the kind of the heart, the the joy of God, the <laughs> how, how God responds. When when lost people come back, um, uh, there was a Sunday school class of young children, and, and they were talking about the prodigal son. That's what we're going to be initiating this morning as part of the story of the prodigal son. And 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 so the question was was asked by the teacher, um, who wasn't happy about the prodigal son's returning? It was quiet for a while. And one little boy raised his hand and said, "The fatted calf." <laughs> you know, <laughs> true, true. <laughs> so, 
this is amazing how kids respond. Um, it wasn't thinking of the older brother. <laughs> I like that. Um, the audience of, of these three stories is very significant. Who, who, is, who is Jesus talking to? <clears throat> Jesus isn't talking to his disciples, primarily. And really he is not primarily talking to the crowd, primarily here. He is primarily focusing his attention on the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The context is, is, is really chapter 14. So he's talking about, he's talking to the religious crowd that saw themselves as anything but lost. <laughs> they didn't see themselves as being lost. They, you know, and, and, and you go back to John chapter 3 with Nicodemus and, 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 and Jesus, uh, that whole, whole, whole context of Jesus confronting Nicodemus with the reality that unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom. And, and that, I'm sure, had never crossed Nicodemus' mind. <laughs> that could actually be possible, you know. And, and so he's talking to the religious people here. He's talking to those who, who thought they were okay. And, and, and so we, we have to kind of put ourselves in that context because the reality is that Jesus was dealing with something here. He was trying to, he was trying to actually uh, smash something here. And what he was dealing with was the issue of prejudice. And, and probably, you know, we all have blind sides to our own prejudice, don't we? You know? And, and, and Jesus was dealing, the, the Pharisees and, and, the, and, the, and the teachers of the law did not like it that Jesus actually spent time with with publicans who, who were considered to be, you know, not a part of the political right. <laughs> they weren't the conservative political group, okay? That, um, they, were, they were kind of the traitors politically. They kind of sold out to the Romans. And, and so Jesus hung out with, with publicans, but he also hung out with sinners, which, which, was, the, which was the people that, that weren't allowed into the synagogue they weren't even allowed to come in and worship because they were considered to, to, to pollute the house of God by their presence. Okay? <clears throat> who is it Who is it that you despise? <laughs> who, who is it that, that just, you know, that you have a problem with? And, and, and whoever that is, we need to understand that Jesus loves them. As much as he loves you, you know, it may be the person standing on the street corner with a sign. You're thinking, "Hey, get a job," you know. If 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 you can, I'm telling you my thoughts. Okay, my my thoughts sometimes is seeing those people is if you can stand there and hold a sign, you can go and work for at least McDonald's, you know, get a job, right? You know, uh, so so we can despise. Those people, or or maybe you have a problem with with somebody who who is gay or lesbian or whatever you you've got a real problem with that, you know, and, or or whatever, you know. Create your own list, but the reality is is that there is a level of prejudice in all of us. There is a level where we 
have problems with certain kinds of people and Jesus was dealing straight up with the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they had problems with with particular kinds of people and Jesus said, those are just the kind of people I seek after. Okay? Lost coin, prodigal son, you know, lost sheep, all all those all those pictures. So, so we're dealing here with the, with the issue of, of, of prejudice, and I I want to I want to do a, a sidetrack for a moment because it's 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 a good illustration of prejudice, and it's really the story of Jonah. Jonah chapter one, we see we see God coming to Jonah, God speaking very clearly to Jonah. Jonah son some Amittai, he came from a small village, Gath Hefer, three miles from Nazareth. Um, most scholars agree that Jonah um, attended Elisha's school of the prophets. He was a rising young star. Um, in fact, in fact, if you go back to Second uh, Kings, um, you'll you'll see in chapter 14, verse 25, that it says concerning concerning Jonah, Jeroboam too recovered territories of Israel between Lebo Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord. Um, the God of Israel had promised through Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. So, so, so Jonah was this young prophet who had brought this, this tremendous prophetic word concerning, um, concerning uh, a deliverance from Syria. A tremendous war that was one massive. Land was recovered to King Solomon's proportions. Commerce expanded. History tells us um, international trade flourished. Syria now was a buffer between Israel and Assyria, who was the world empire at that point. And, 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 and who brought this great prophetic word? It was Jonah. <laughs> Jonah. All right? This rising prophetic star in Israel. And now God comes to Jonah again with another word. And he says, arise and go to Nineveh. Rise and go to Nineveh, and 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 cry out against it. And and why did Jonah reject God's call? Because he knew God's heart, and he knew that if he rose and did exactly what, what God was saying, Jonah chapter four reveals that 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 God God would forgive them. <laughs> he did not want that to happen. He wanted the judgment of God to come upon Nineveh. Why? Nineveh was 500 miles away from Israel, uh, northeast of Israel, on the east banks of the Tigris. Um, probably one of the most ancient cities of the world, one of the four cities built by Nimrod, Noah's great-grandson. Uh, probably the largest city city of Asia at that time, about one million people. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire that had ruled the world from 865 to 665 B.C., some 220 years. It's a long time. This is a world empire. It's a brutal, brutal, brutal empire. Wherever they went, they were extremely brutal. They would they would they would rip off the lips and 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 cut off cut out the tongues and cut off the hands of their captives. I mean, these were brutal people. They would they they would take stakes and ram them through the chests of people and then and then skin them alive. That's that's kind of the stuff. You know, you ever hear of a head count? Well, it all started with the Assyrians because what they would do is they would literally uh, put the heads. Of, of their captives at the city gates, just pile them up in these big, huge piles, and they would call them headcounts. 
All right. So this was the Assyrians. And the reality is, is that Israel had experienced the brutality of the Assyrians three times. Three times. So, so, so Israel was personally familiar with the brutality of the Assyrians. All right? So, 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 so Jonah had this prejudice against the Assyrians. And now God was coming to him and saying, I want you to go to these prodigals. <laughs> I want you to preach to them. And I want you to warn them of my judgment. And Jonah said, no way, Jose, I'm not going to do that. Because I want you to judge them. <laughs> I want the fire to fall <laughs> there. You know, and, 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 and so, and so that, that is the context. So, so the Jonah story really is not a fish story. It is, it is a story that reveals what, primarily? The heart of God for all lost people, even the ones you despise. Even the ones you despise. Even the ones you would love to see God destroy. That's the Jonah story. And, and, and it also obviously deals with the other side, which is the Jonah part, which is our struggle dealing with our own prejudices. And we all have them. We all have them. And God help us. God help us to see them and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to deal with them. So Jesus doesn't go according to the values and the norms of his peer group here in their very presence, and, and the context is dinner here, in, the in their very presence over dinner, Jesus tells them these stories on purpose. And the story in chapter 15 that we're dealing with here is, is the story of... of of uh, of the lost son, the parable of the lost son. Um, verses 11 and 12, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to, to divide his wealth between his sons. The son demanded what he said belonged to him. I, I mean, here here's a son that's arrogant, uh, he's self-centered, he's presumptuous, self-focused, and, and he says, hey, give me what's coming to me, and I don't want to wait till you die. I want it now. <laughs> you know? I mean, spoiled rotten, right? Spoiled kid. You know? I, I want it now. I want it all. You know? And, and, and amazingly, we see the father, with, I'm sure, great sadness, responds to his son, and gives him what is his. Deuteronomy 21.17 reveals, you know, how, how, how it's participled if there's two sons, all right? If there's only two sons, the first uh, the firstborn son gets two-thirds, the other son gets one-third. So basically, the oldest son gets double of, of, the, of, of everybody else, basically. And so if there's a lot of kids, you know, the oldest son gets double and the rest share the rest, okay? But in this case, it's two sons. So, so it's two-thirds, one-third, all right? So, so, so and, and the younger son says, I don't only want my inheritance, I don't want the land, I want it in cash. Cash, please. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, so, so here, here we see, we not only see something about the son, but we also see something about the father. We see the father is not iron-fisted. 
But we see grace here in the Father, even in this context. Huh? You know? And, and I, I, that's important for us to see not only, not only the Son, but also the Father. So, so what happens? This young man, and, 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 and some of you guys can relate to this, and some of you ladies can relate to this too, um, this young man, full of energy and excitement, breaks away from parental control and responsibilities. Anybody relate to that? Huh? When you were, you know, you know, 18 or 20 or whatever, okay? He cuts himself off from family relationships which had constituted his very identity. And so he says, he says not only am I going to move to another city, I'm going to move to another country. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the Jewish nation and I am going to jo- go and join the Gentiles. Okay? All right? It'd be, it'd, be, it'd, be like, it'd be like you saying, hey, I, I am going to join the Hindus. Come from a conservative Christian background. And, and hey, you know, I'm going to take my inheritance and I'm going to leave my homeland. And I, I'm not only leaving, leaving my homeland, I'm really leaving my faith behind. I'm leaving everything behind. And I'm going to a different country. That's exactly what he did. Took all of his inheritance, traveled to this distant Gentile country, sets aside behavioral patterns, learned at home, and he recklessly and thoughtlessly squanders his inheritance, blows it on everything, blows it on everybody. You know, everybody's his friend till his money's gone, right? And that's the way, that's the way it was. He does it carelessly. Uh, literally, it means in the text that he unsunned himself. He unsunned himself. He disconnected himself from being a son in this context. And I'm sure every time he thought at home, he pushed it out of his mind. Pushed the thought of home out of his mind. So, we know the story, verses 13, 14, a few days later, this young man, a younger son, packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, there he wasted all his money in wild living, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. So, two things happen simultaneously here. Number one, he runs out of money. Number two, he runs into a famine. Okay? okay. So he runs out of money, runs into a family. famine. Two things at the same time. You know, so kind of double whammy. All right? Uh, some of you can relate to this. Okay? He gets this pink slip at work. All right? And... Uh, and all of a sudden, there's more unemployment than there's been in, in, in the last 25 years. So how many can relate to that? I know some of you can't. You've gone through that, or you're going through that right now. All right? So, so all of a sudden, boom! Double whammy here. Okay? You know? But, but of course, this is all of his own making. This is different than your situation. Um, uh, this is all of his own making. Now, you have to understand, this is not the Jewish wor- world where there was almsgiving, where, where there was a welfare system, where, where they took care of poor people better than anywhere else in the world. This is the Roman and Greek world where, where welfare was unheard of. <laughs> you know? And so, if you, if you were without, you were without. If you didn't have, you didn't have. If you didn't have money, too bad. If you didn't have food, too bad. You are on your own. That was not what he had come out, uh, come out of. And, and, and so verse 15 says, says, tells us, uh, 
in the original language that he literally glued himself to a farmer. <laughs> you know, it's almost like, it's almost like I will do anything to work for you. You know? And, and he glued himself to this farmer. He said, you know, he was so desperate. He said, I, I, I gotta, I gotta literally hang on to this guy. This is my last chance of survival. So this is the bottomless pit of disgrace and humiliation for him as a Jew. It's, 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 it's the lowest, most degrading point possible for him. Um, and literally, the pig slop was better than what he'd had for breakfast. You know, so 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 he's pe- he's feeding the pigs, and he's thinking, man, look what they got. Look what I got. Desperation, famine does something to people. For some people, it makes them harder. Other people. It uh, turns them towards God. And as, as we're looking at Haiti, you know, with all of our attention, you go home, you'll turn on CNN, catch up on the latest, and, 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 and we're focusing on that, focusing on that. This is, this is a, a huge crisis, but it's also a, a great point of opportunity for the gospel. Right, Livick? You know, I mean, the seed of the gospel has been planted in Haiti I think, I think, I think, Alan, you said over the last 50 years significantly, okay? So, so it's not like these people, many of these people have heard of the gospel. They've heard of Jesus, okay? And this is, this is an opportunity for many prodigals to return. Let's pray for that right now. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that many prodigals will return. Many Prodigals will remember, oh God, remember your grace. Remember what it was like to be a son, a child of God. Remember and return. God, we pray that, Lord, for Haiti today. Lord, many have heard your voice already and have turned from it, turned to many other things. May they hear your voice again in this time, even as this prodigal son returned. May it be so, in Jesus' name. It's interesting that that the return of the Son does not begin with repentance. It begins with remembering. Remembering. Memory. Remembering. Remembering what it was like to be a son. Remembering the character of a merciful father. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against uh, both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He remembered. He remembered what it was like to be a son. He remembered what it was like in the father's house. He remembered what his father was like. Merciful. Kind. Generous. Alright? And it's interesting to me that when you look at the scripture in Romans chapter 2, interesting portion here, 
verse, verse 4, it says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it is his kindness or his goodness that it is intended to bring you from your sin, that it is intended to bring you back to repentance? You see, it is the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. It's not the judgment of God so much that brings people to repentance. It is the goodness of God. It is the remembering of the goodness of God. You know. So, hellfire is not what draws people so much. It is the nature of the goodness of God. A merciful God. A forgiving God. You see, because remembering what God is like does something to us. It gives us hope. Hellfire gives you hopelessness. Right? Now, I believe in hell. How many believe in hell? I believe in hell. Preach on it. Believe on it with all my heart. But when you're dealing with lost people, your message is not so much hell. It is heaven. <laughs> it is not it is not so much judgment it is mercy <laughs> it is about forgiveness it is about hope it is about there is a way back isn't that wonderful that's the gospel that's the good news and that is what this boy remembered if he would have seen God if he would have seen his father okay speaking of God, if he would have seen his father as being, if I go back home, he's going to kick me off the property. He's going to pummel me into, into dust. He's going to judge me and throw me into prison. He would have never went home. Never. Right? You would have never gone, gone home if that's the way you saw God treating you. But because he saw his father as someone who would receive him, and in his mind, he couldn't see himself coming home in any other context but as a servant. He thought, well, at least I can go home and, and, and I can serve as a servant in my father's house and be better off than I am, the way that I am. Love it. I love it. You see, the first link back to restoration... Okay, the first step back to restoration is remembering. Remembering the goodness of God. Remembering the nature of God. Remembering the character of God. Turn to Psalm 51. Um, here we have David in his darkest hour. The story of Bathsheba is as bad as it gets. I mean, it's it's... David's darkest character. I, I mean, you talk about you talk about nauseating us by what he does. You know, he he kills Bathsheba's hun, husband so that he can. And and I, I I mean I mean the context of of Bathsheba's husband, his faithfulness, his 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 commitment to David as his king, and 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 then we see this guy, you know, taking him. And 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 doing everything, he puts him out as, as the point man, so he dies in battle, you know, and and all of this that happens, and 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 takes Bathsheba to be his wife, and, and what a what a mess, huh? 
This is David's prayer. And here we have it. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stains of my sins. You, you see his focus here? It is on the compassion of God. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your, in your sight. You, you will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. Wow. Verse 7. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me now. Let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Why was he praying these things? He was praying these things because he believed that God would actually do them. Hope. So one day this young man remembers. He came to himself. He came to himself. You know, the term actually refers or is applied to those who have been deranged. Okay? It, 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 it means to come out of your in, insanity. And, and sin and rebellion against God, as you know, as I know, when you're on the other side of it, you recognize how insane it was to go your own way. Right? Just absolutely crazy. Why did I even go there? I mean, all it brought was destruction into my life. But, but, but at the point, we're deranged. We don't see it. We don't understand it. Remembering led him somewhere. It's not enough to remember. It's good to remember. It's important to remember. It's the first step. But remember led to a determined decision to return. But it was a return like David returned. It was a return without, without denial. It was a return without excuse. It was, it was a return in facing the reality of his own sin. The prodigal says, and, and literally this is, this is the terminology in the Greek here, I will go back as, quote, the son no longer worthy to be called a son. <laughs> I will go back like this. <laughs> I will go back recognizing that I have sinned against heaven. He said, when I go back, I'm going to say, first of all, I recognize I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. It goes back in that context. Now, as I wrap this up this morning, the greatest issue here that keeps people from going back even after they remember is an unwillingness to label our sin and deal with it. You see it in the life of Saul. You know, God calls Saul to be king. And, 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 and finally, you know, God gives him n- numerous chances. And, and finally... We see in 1 Samuel chapter 15 how that, how that God speaks to, to, to Samuel and he says, go to king, I've got a message for him. And, he, and, and so he goes, he goes to Saul and, 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 and I want to read it this morning because it's, it's just powerful. 
verse 13. When, when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I've carried out the Lord's command. That was a lie. Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle, I hear, Samuel demanded. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep and goats. See, he blames the army. Sheep, goats, and cattle. Saul admitted. But they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked. And Samuel told him, Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, Go and completely destroy the sinners of the Amalekites until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, which he was not supposed to do, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep of, and, and goats and cattle and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But, but Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to His voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of, of, of rams. Rebellion is as, a, is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. You see, the whole issue with, with, with Saul was the issue of rebellion. And what was the rebellion about? The rebellion was his unwillingness to take responsibility for his own sin. There, there, there is something within us that, that resists just coming straight before God and dealing, dealing with issues. I mean, uh, Saul's issue was always it's, it, it's somebody else's fault. It, it, somebody else did this. I, I wasn't re- responsible. And, 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 and Samuel came back and said, you are responsible. And you did do it. God responded to David in the worst sin you could think of anybody doing. God responded to David in his sinfulness because of his willingness to take responsibility for his sin. And said, I sinned against you and I sinned against heaven. And that's exactly the same words that we see Jesus using in the story of the prodigal son. And if we are willing to take responsibility for our own stuff. He will also forgive us and cleanse us. But James chapter 4 makes very clear to us, he resists the proud, gives grace to whom? The humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning... We thank you, Lord, for this, the opportunity, the the gift you give us of, of memory, the gift of remembering that leads us back to you. And even repentance is is a gift that you give us the the ability to turn to you, the the, the ability to deal with our own sin. And Lord, this morning, I pray, O oh God, that we would not 
we would not be like the Pharisees that would say, this is somebody else's problem, this isn't mine. When Jesus was really targeting them and saying, this is your issue. I pray, oh God, that we would remember and we would return. I thank you that you are merciful and forgiving to those who will humble themselves. But judgment does stand at the door who resist with pride. We would be those who would humble ourselves before you, Lord. We thank you for the outpouring of your grace and the outpouring of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. As we close this service this morning, we're going to just spend time um, in worship. And you are, you are free to go when you're ready to go. But I, I, would, I would say this. Some of you just need to sit in the presence of God and, and remember and return. Others of you may feel like, you know, I need to actually take a step forward and come to the front and kneel in dealing with personal issues. If you want prayer, for whatever reason, just come here and stand, and we'll, we'll pray for you this morning. But if you, if you feel the need of, of coming, I've done that. I've felt that need in my own life at times where I needed to step out and come forward. Would you just stand with me this morning? Just momentarily, everyone, just stand today as, as the worship team comes and prepares. You know, we never know who's in church. Two weeks ago, I was in Rockford, Illinois, preaching, and, and, and there, was a, there was a man there who had not been in church in 25 years except for weddings and funerals. And, and he walked into the service where I was speaking and, and wept his way through to salvation just because God touched his heart, you know? So we never know who is in... I don't know... Who's in church this morning? I don't know who all of you are this morning, but God does. And, and, and this series that, that has been ordained for us to pursue in this season, this whole issue of, of restoration, I believe this morning that, that there are people here today who needed to hear that God is for you, not against you. And that you can come back. You can come home. God will receive you. God will forgive you. God will cleanse you. Praise God. It's wonderful. But you have to come back. <laughs> the son just couldn't have that nice warm thought living in a far land. He had, to, he had to make a choice. He had to make a decision to return. That's what repentance is. Will you return this morning? Will you respond to remembering today? Father, as we close this service this morning and, and as we give you an opportunity to minister in the lives of people today, I, I pray that, God, we would not believe the lie of the enemy that there is no way home for us. May we see, O oh God, that you are more than willing to receive us if, if only we will come. And we, Lord, will remember today and we will return today. 
We'll not only do it today, but we'll continue to do it. Day in, day out, month in, month out, year in. and year. We will remember in return. Thank you. Thank you. You are a loving Heavenly Father. And I pray that many would respond to you today. Not to me. My goodness, not to me. But to you and to your call. To remember and to return. I pray your blessing on your people this day. I pray your blessing, Lord, on, on the people of Haiti and their grief and loss, that they would remember and return. May that be true for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. That's our benediction this morning. And you are free to sit, soak, stand and soak, kneel, come to the front. Enjoy the presence of God. Respond to the presence of God this morning in your life. However he's speaking to you this morning. Would you respond to that? God bless you.